0: Hello, welcome to the Trainer Tools Podcast. I'm John Tomlinson, and today I'm going to be talking to Gary Platt about his approach to needs analysis called The Performance Gap. Hi, I'm here with Gary Platt. Hi, Gary, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. What do you want to talk about today, Gary?
1: Well, the issue I want to talk about is um, what I call an alternative to training needs analysis. The emphasis is on what I call performance gap analysis. And performance gap analysis is right at the start of the training development process. And I want to talk about how that needs to get off to a positive start, because if that goes wrong, everything else cascade fails all the way through it the key areas I want to look at is first of all you know exactly what when we say performance gap what do we mean why do we want to go down that route of a performance gap analysis and what does it mean basically for the training function if we go that route rather than what I would call a standard training needs analysis system
0: okay so is, is there anything that you think that's a particular weakness in the traditional method of a training needs analysis?
1: I, I, think, there's, I think there's loads of weaknesses in, in training needs analysis. Sometimes it's not the fault of the system. Sometimes it's the fault of the people who are applying the system. And, and what I mean by that is they mistake training need for what I would call training want
0: so when you say training needs analysis, you imagine a kind of a bottom up where you would go to people and say, what training do you need for the next year? And they will reply with what training they want for the next year.
1: Yeah, and what, what, I mean, and what they want is not contextualized in certain terms of what the business requires. So I'll give you a couple of worst case scenarios that I've encountered. Uh, you know, I will get people, um, a manager, telling me that their staff need time management. And they will come on a time management course, and, and when we actually start to diagnose, you know, uh, what they actually require, it's it's actually the manager that's the problem who's not being clear about objectives, is not being clear about feedback, and and consequently the people don't know how to spend their time appropriately. Now, in all those circumstances, people have said what they want; they haven't defined. They need, and they definitely haven't, in terms of a performance gap.
0: I don't think I've been in a uh, in any kind of analysis where the first thing they shout up is 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 not about time management.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well, I, there's a gang of three. I think there's there's time management, stress management, and assertiveness. Uh, and, and for many managers, they will always claim to want those because a they want assertiveness because their staff are incredibly bullshy and you know they need training in that. They need time management because there isn't enough time in the day to do the job. And they need stress management because the job is so terrible and hard in the first place. Yeah. Now, the, 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 many of those things might be true, but uh, you know it, it's not always the case. So how does this differ from a gap analysis approach? It's probably the same thing, but th- this, this, this is how I come to it. Lots of managers and people who request training will try to define what they want in the training. In other words, what they want it to cover. So what they will talk about will be, for instance, if, for instance, it was project management, they would start talking about how to use uh, Gantt charts, uh, how to set and define... Uh, risk assessments, how to undertake uh, end user analysis, uh, and and they'll they'll give a list basically of sessions that they want addressed. Now, to me, that's putting the horse before the cart. Because what I want to talk about first of all is Do
0: you think I think you mean that the other way around, don't you?
1: Do I? The cart think before mean... the horse. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right.
0: The horse should go before the cart.
1: Right. Yeah. You see, I'm not used to this old technology. I'm more, I'm more <laughs> modern age, you see. So, um, wh- whichever way the horse should be, it's not in the right position.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Incorrectly placed horse.
1: <laughs> yeah. Co- yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, so, what I want the people to talk about is basically what's going wrong. What is not happening where are the complaints occurring? What are the mistakes or the errors that are happening? And, uh, and that's where we start to identify the performance gaps, because clearly if something's not happening properly or something's not happening or whatever is happening is going wrong, something is going, something is amiss there. And what I want to do, first of all, is identify that there is a performance gap. There is an issue because um, sometimes things on an habitual basis. In other words, we, we send people on particular courses because we send people on that particular course.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And, you know, I, and I end up in front of me where, frankly, uh, they don't have an issue. There is not a problem, you know, and, and they you know and they um, they wonder why they're there. I mean, I, I get I often get three sorts of people in front of me on courses. The first group are what I call political prisoners. They're there; they don't know why they're there. They live their lives like they're in a Kafka novel, you know. And the first question I ask is, you know, is why are you here? And the answer is, I don't know. I've been sent. You know,
0: right? Yeah, we've all heard that one. Yeah, yes,
1: yeah, absolutely. And um, for instance, so you might be doing cust. and and you ask them first thing why are you here you know what do you hope to get from the course and the answer is i don't know i've been sent now it's clearly apparent to me in about 15 seconds why they're there on a customer care skills course because of concern for impact attitude you know approach all those sorts of things but frankly because no performance gap has been identified and communicated to them Everything that I say and everything I talk about and everything that we do is irrelevant because they don't have the issue. So they're not motivated to learn. Exactly. The second group of people are tourists. And these are people who a day's training is better than a day's work. You know, these people um, basically pick from a list of courses that look interesting that look like that looks an interesting program, but without any thought or consideration for what am I going to do with it? How am I going to use it? And then the third group or the group that I really want. And these are the explorers. These are people who have identified something and somewhere that they want to get to. And uh, this this development event will help them in some way or form. You know, and and performance gap analysis says, well, it's, you know, it's about identifying there is something wrong, B, that you can do something with it when you go back, and C, that we can measure that to see that, you know, it's actually happened when you do go back.
0: Right. So if you've done the analysis up front in the first place, you start cracking the evaluation problem immediately.
1: Exactly. I mean, you've got your evaluation strategy. The minute you identify the performance gap, because if the development is successful, that performance gap should begin to close up, basically.
0: Right. And you can measure the value of the gap, presumably beforehand.
1: Yeah. I'm reasonably relaxed about measuring the gap in the sense of if it's if it's clearly apparent that uh, a project manager needs to be able to con- use and utilise particular skills and techniques for project management i'm not going to agonize about working out what the financial benefits are in other circumstances i might want to do that so i I, I don't necessarily think we need to do a financial roi for every piece of training but we definitely need to do and what is referred to as an roe which is a return on expectation you know what does it expect these people to do
0: Okay. Well, an ROE sounds like an interesting subject to explore as well. Perhaps we can do another cast on that another day.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk us
0: through the actual process of the gap analysis?
1: So uh, your internal or your external customer contacts you and says, I'd like this course, please. What I would do at this particular point is see if I can arrange a a time when I can go and speak to them in order to get uh, their views and thoughts uh, from them. And uh, what I would also try and do is often the person who approaches you may not be the group or in the target group for whom they want the development to take place. And in those circumstances, I'd also want to go and see if I can speak to the target group as well. Because, you know, a a manager's perspective might be incredible, it might be valid, and it might be correct. But it is only one perspective of what the issues are, Uh, you know, and and a manager might genuinely think their staff need time management and do not recognise that they're actually at the core of the problem. Now, I would not necessarily identify that just by speaking to that manager. I would have to speak to the target group to whom uh, he or she wants that training done. And so consequently, the, the first thing that I'm wanting to do is to get in front of the people or get on the end of a, a telephone so I can talk in depth. And what I want to try and do is to wean the people I'm speaking to from telling me about input and get them to talk to me about output. You know, what is it that's not happening? Where are the shortfalls? What are the errors? Now, now, sometimes when they get to this stage, they struggle because they've never had it happen to them before necessarily, particularly if, you know, if, you're, if you're trying to migrate your business and your people to this kind of performance gap approach. Now, what's sometimes a useful question to ask is what do your best or what do your worst performers do? and and if you do that you can start to identify you know in in the best performers what are the actions what are the behaviors that lead to uh superior performance now what we're actually starting to move into there is the sort of work that a a guy called by did in america uh, when he initially developed the idea of competence and it's interesting his definition of competence were those behaviors that lead to superior performance not just tolerable performance but superior performance and you know and and what we're trying to do or what i'm trying to do when i do performance gap is identify what do people currently do now compared to what we want them to physically do you know six months two days two months down the line so At that point, I also want to make sure that this performance gap is predicated or based on two particular factors. One is an absence of knowledge. In other words, they don't know something. They're not aware of something. They don't understand something. And the second is an uh, an absence of skill or ability to do something. So it's one thing knowing it, it's another thing doing it. If the performance gap is because of an absence of knowledge and an absence of skill, I'm reasonably confident that a development event can contribute to closing up that performance gap. Right Now, sometimes there is a third issue that prevents performance. So it's knowledge, skill, and this third area is attitude. You know, this is this is their relationship to the subject. And sometimes somebody's got a poor attitude. They've got the knowledge, they've got the skill, but they just don't give a damn. Now, I am deeply reluctant to agree to do training courses in those circumstances until the manager or managers have sat down with this people, with the people and given them very clear feedback about their attitude because i think training and development can contribute to attitude it can support and encourage attitude but the primary influence on attitude is that individual's peer group their colleagues and their manager and and if the manager is not telling somebody that they are you know they're failing to apply themselves appropriately they're not approaching the work uh, in the way and in the style that they require uh, you know it's it's like the person who turns up for the customer care skills course uh, thinking it doesn't apply to them and so consequently I, I will often decline to do training on if it's an attitudinal issue until we've got confidence that the manager has attempted to address it because I think if the, you know if, if the manager, uh, lets people know that what they're doing isn't acceptable um, a huge a majority of people would try to adjust and alternate and uh, you know and and, and uh, comply with that i mean a classic example of that would be the bbc several years ago where they they were getting people to phone in to vote for their favorite dancer or whatever it was and, and the voting was over but people were still being encouraged or to, to ring in and vote you know and it was just you know their vote counted for nothing uh, this became public knowledge there was hue and cry there was a public accounts committee who you know who, who criticized them and uh, and they delivered a training course on honesty right <laughs> now you know, it may have just been badly reported in the Daily Mail and the Telegraph in terms of what I read. But frankly, if you could train honesty, you could empty the prisons, couldn't you, really?
0: Yes, that's that's a really good example, actually.
1: So, you know, in in those circumstances, I'm reluctant to go along with the idea that training can, can make a significant contribution. Those people have to know why they're on the course and if the manager is frightened or doesn't want to give them that feedback then that's where the performance gap is not with the individual who's you know not applying themselves properly
0: so if you went through the gap analysis approach yeah the output is a series of knowledge skills or potentially attitudes where there is based on the competences and the competences that really make a difference according to the definition of biazis
1: yes though i have to say i am not. I'm not an advocate of competency frameworks. I'd rather do the competency analysis for the particular development need that's in front of me.
0: Okay, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily use the corporate framework. You would just no. do some analysis about what different actions and what different knowledge make the difference between great performance and or, or something else that's yeah. not contributing. Yeah,
1: in, in, in that particular job function or role. Controversially I believe that most competency frameworks in most in most businesses are a white elephant um, I, I, I don't think they make any contribution they appear at the appraisal time and then evaporate into the background that's not true for all businesses but in my experience it's true for the majority. But that's another, again, that's another podcast.
0: It is, yes. Um, so what's, um, what's the actual process you go through in order to be able to get this result?
1: Right. So now what I do, I've got a list of the performance gaps issue, performance gap issues and I start to populate the knowledge and skill elements that training and development I can address that will fill in to those performance gaps. And then my lesson plan, basically is cross reference to those knowledge and skill items which feed directly into the performance gaps. Now, that, that is a major discipline for me, in, in uh, John, in the sense of I don't do train. I, I, there was a time in my past, and I'll hold my hand up to this, um, when there were certain things that I would cover on training courses that were there because I like covering them.
0: Yes, I can hold my hand up to that one as well, in the spirit, spirit of sharing and honesty. Yes, yeah.
1: exactly. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there was a time, for instance, I, was, I, I still love transactional analysis. I still love TA. Uh, and there was a time in my life where I could shoe on TA into anything. You know, Excel spreadsheets for beginners. There'd be a session in there about TA. I remember
0: you, I remember you doing transactional analysis with me, actually. I
1: bought, I bought the book. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it may have been pertinent for training. It was so, um, yeah. um, But there are other areas where I'm I'm stretching the envelope a bit. Yeah, Um, I
0: could see how that might might be a stretch of Excel.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, you might be surprised. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, so so anyway, I I, I've now got in front of me a lesson plan where, if you ask me, why is in why is that in there, I can point to the performance gap that it would underpin and contribute to close. What I then do is that once that performance gap has been defined, the lesson plan created, and supposing the training now goes ahead, what I would then do is that within, well, really, with w- inside six weeks, I would, I'd use a, a, an, a, an approach to the manager and saying, look, these were the performance gaps that this training was meant to do. Have they started to make progress in these areas? And, you know, and if the man, all the manager has to do is, you know, is to is to reflect on what they've seen the member of staff undertake and what they've applied. And it's it's more or less a tick box. Yes, they have. No, they haven't. You know, and, and how they're feeling about that. And so what's happening is the the manager is ensuring the, the, ma- uh, the candidate or the person who went on the training is transferring the skills into the workplace.
0: Right and that's a lot easier when you've done that analysis up front yep. that does turns it into the tick box as you said.
1: Yes yeah it, 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 it's so much easier than retrospectively and that's often the case you, you're retrospectively trying to find out what this training was meant to do in the first place if anything. One thing
0: that I want to just dig a slightly deeper on is the very, the, the process is quite near the beginning when you're actually defining the knowledge and skills.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What process do you use to get that information out?
1: a number of things one is predominantly interviewing people uh, and 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 i'm also doing uh, literature research i'm looking at you know what what uh, what's out there in terms of books or research that's been done in relation to this particular area and i'm also looking at best practice and above and above and below you know in terms of uh, what does the manager identify as being knowledge specific uh, and skill specific and and what do the end users of the people who are on the receiving end of the uh, development you know what do they experience so uh, you know i'm using a, a whole number of, uh, of different sources to fill in and make sure that we've got the knowledge gaps. Now, now for some things, I, I also have to say, John, it's fairly, it's common sense. It's fairly straightforward what it is in terms of, you know, what's missing and what they don't understand. So, you know, so for instance, if, if you're going to talk about Excel a, a, as just one simple example, we find out what it is they are not currently doing with Excel and we identify, you know, what the knowledge is to do that. There's very little skill factor in Excel because they just press buttons on a keyboard uh, so it's more about knowledge gain you know and, and again if you discover that that's the case then it may well be that face-to-face interaction wouldn't necessarily always be necessary it might be you know another approach that you might adopt there may be operating procedures in for some pieces of work that are already laid down within the business i'm using that as a source i'm using experts or people who it, Uh, demonstrate and express best practice and I'm using uh, any literature you know uh, know, I spend a lot of time on YouTube looking at what other people have got to say on a particular subject and I find that a rich source of input for what the knowledge elements uh, and what the skill elements might be for particular pieces of training.
0: Is there any particular method you'd use to define which of those perhaps not obvious things which are making the real difference between exceptional performance and just a normal performance?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, uh, uh, the predominant way I'm doing that, I I compare and contrast high performing individuals with low performing individuals and what I will sometimes try and avoid is uh, what a uh, kind of uh, cliche analysis you know some people you know there, there are some things that are given uh, we're told that this leads to superior performance i'll give you an example um when when i was being taught effective communication on my own you know when i was on the receiving end of the training i would be constantly be told about it's better to use open questions rather than closed questions. And stay away from leading questions and 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 this this thing this this approach this uh, this definition of open and closed questions would be trotted out on virtually every other communication skills course and similarly if you know if I was being told about management, Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know would be told oh, yes you've yes. Got, you've got to cover you know you know you, you, this should be part of the training. The reality is, though, that there's been very good research done on, you know, what, what difference does asking open and closed questions make to the conversation? And the answer is none. It's more driven by the indiv- personality of the individual who's being asked the questions. You can ask them a closed question and they'll give you an open question and <laughs> give you an open answer. There's very little correlation between open and closed questions, at, you know, and the effect of the communication. And then Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, Abraham Maslow came forward with a hypothesis. It wasn't based on any facts or research. And again, there's been, you know, there's been research from the very university Maslow used to to be a professor in that actually Maslow's hierarchy of needs there's not a shred of evidence for it you know there are people out there who jump to self-actualizing and skip all the bottom security and you know and and physiological needs you know actors are a prime example of that they will you know they will physically endanger their own security in order to do what they want and so consequently i'll try and avoid a kind of standardised content, I would try and research and find out what should be there through direct observation, interviews, and and, and good research.
0: So this is similar to things like when people say that they need MBTI because their team isn't working very well. And when you dig a little bit deeper to that, you find out that there's actually completely different issues relating to the way that the team has been managed, the team dynamics, etc.,
1: I think part of the reason that this, when you start to examine why this is, it's because the people who are asking for the training compared to the training and development specialist have got very limited, a very narrow experience of what training's available. You know, so a manager who, as you say, has asked for MBTI may well be asking for that because he did MBTI himself three or four years ago and he found it really useful. And, and so consequently, understandably, he or she thinks it'll be useful here. But in fact, the trained development specialist has a much broader and wider grasp of what's out there and what's available and what might work and what's feasible and what's possible. And so consequently, it's, it's almost as though by telling me what they want in the course, they negate Any contribution I can make, other than to stand up and and do it, and and what I want to do is is to is to change those two positions and say, look, you tell me what the performance gaps are, and I'll give you options for how to how to meet those performance gaps. And it might well be in certain circumstances you're going to meet managers who are very switched on, highly capable, and their suggestion of an MBTI program might be correct. In many instances, it may not.
0: So in summary, you're saying that we should start by with whatever request we get is actually digging a lot deeper into what the need is behind that request. And that would include the conversation with the person who asked for it, but also the people that are going to receive the training, wide research into the subject using online resources or whatever we can to find out industry best practice, interviewing with the people that are involved in the performance itself to try and understand what are the behaviours that really contribute to great performance. Yeah and then dividing that into knowledge, skills, and attitude, where it's knowledge and skills, mapping that to some kind of training intervention. Yeah. But where it's attitude, that's going to have to be pursued in a different way.
1: All I would, all I would add to that, John, is, is I've not said this, so you, you wouldn't summarize it, is say what you, would fi- what you find with that approach is you do less training, but it is more focused and has greater output because before that you might be doing a lot of training but it's unfocused and much of it has little to no effect in the sharp end.
0: And of course if you've done that it's also easier to evaluate.
1: Absolutely.
0: So thank you Gary. Do you want to just um, remind everyone where you're from what you do?
1: Yeah um, I work for an organisation called EEF. One of the areas we specialise in is training and development. That's one of the principal functions uh, of what the EEF delivers I work with lots of organisations, I I help them do analysis, I help do the delivery and I help them understand whether they've got uh, value for money from the training. And that's basically my day job. All right, well thanks
0: for that and I'm sure we'll see you again on this podcast.
1: Great, thank you very much John.
0: Well, that was me talking to Gary Platt about his approach to learning needs analysis. If you'd like any more information on that, have a look at our website www.trainer-tools.com where you'll find a link to all the information about Gary, what he was talking about today and everything else to do with Trainer Tools. Thanks. See you next time.